Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 409 featuring Andrew Bardusk, VFX supervisor over at Zoic. Our friends at Zoic have always been very kind to us with a lot of their our guests that we've had on. It's been a lot of fun talking to them. Uh, Andrew is no exception, a really, really sweet guy, very down to earth, very talented, obviously. He's been doing this for a long, long time uh, and I really kind of loved his story. Kristen, what do you think of Andrew? Yeah, well, he has been in the visual effects industry for a while now. Um, he gives us a good story of just how he moved to LA at like 19 or 20 um, mm -hmm. on a whim and then never looked back. Uh, he yep. discusses his CG supervising role in Legends of Tomorrow. Um, and he also talks about how streaming has changed episodic work um, and what it's like being back on set. And then he also talks about how it was choreographed choreographing an octopus attack so that was a, a great discussion um yep. and then you guys also discuss remote work and just how it's actually benefited zoic um because they can hire anyone anywhere now and just the advantages of supervising remotely so he has a really good outlook on the remote aspects of everything yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I was very sort of uh, interested to see that perspective. Obviously, you know, remote work can't does have his challenges in a lot of ways, and we talked about that, especially with junior artists. But for him, he's looking at a much wider talent pool that he's able to reach from, and how they approach that from a business point of view, which is also pretty cool. I do want to say a couple other things about Andrew. One of the things I've really, really appreciated about him, he he's not shy about talking about his downfalls and his failures and how he recovered from those things. Uh, so I think that's kind of a really good thing for us all to. To, to listen and to hear what he has to say, because I'm sure, especially as you start your career, you may be facing some failures and feel that you're not cut up for it. But he obviously recovered quite well from it, and he's done very a lot of great things. So it's really a great lesson to learn from Andrew, and I appreciate him sharing those stories with us. So it was yeah. really kind of cool. Uh, okay. Uh, on to a couple of announcements. Uh, we've got some events going on uh, in January. Kristen, what's going on? Yeah, so you can find these out at chaos.com slash events. On January 23rd, we have a free webinar, um, and it is real-time to photo reel with Enscape and V-Ray for Revit. And then two days later, on January 25th, another webinar, and this is Tools and Techniques to Visualize an Eco-Friendly Home. Uh, learn how to render an animated virtual tour with Chaos Vantage and V-Ray 6 for SketchUp. So don't miss those. Perfect. Uh, that's really great. So remember, those are all at chaos.com slash events. Don't forget to register for those webinars. We'd love to see you there. Uh, if you, people want to know more about the podcast, Kristen, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash podcast or chaos.com slash garage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you guys have any ideas, podcasts, or want to comment on them, please let us know. Labs at chaos.com is our email. And again, this is another call out. I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, but I would love to have more voices to speak out about their position, especially in the artist's point of view on the subject of AI. So if you have any uh, ideas or suggestions of people to talk to, or would like to suggest yourself as being a guest on a podcast, uh, we'd love to have you on. Uh, AI, I think, is a very important topic that we need to talk about in the community. And I think that this platform and this podcast would be a great way to sort of uh, talk about some of those uh, some of those issues uh, out loud. So again, that email is labs at chaos.com. But for now, please enjoy episode number 409 with Andrew Bardusk, VFX supervisor at Zoic Studios. Welcome to another CG Garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays 
in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Uh, okay, well, thanks so much for for doing this, uh, Andrew. I appreciate it. Uh, I've, I've, you know, we've been working with Zoic for many, many, many years over at Chaos, and sort of have uh, lots of lots of great friends there. Um, I've worked with uh, several fun people there, including Bill Spradling, is actually a good friend of mine who's over there. Oh, very cool. Uh, so, uh, and and obviously, I've known many, many other people in, in the Zoic infrastructure. I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, so I'm glad we're able to do this. Absolutely, uh, but Thanks I'd for like to me. sort of know, you know, what your what your background is, and and how did how did you sort of land in visual effects? What was the sort of thing that sort of was a catalyst that made you excited about uh, filmmaking and visual effects? Well, um, let's see. I could take you all the way back to high school. There you uh, go. <laughs> So I was always, as a kid, uh, super into computers uh, because I really wanted to play Doom. And my computer didn't have enough RAM, and I had to learn how to uh, make a boot disk so I could launch Doom without launching Windows. So as I got into high school, <laughs> uh, we my school had like a network admin class, like an elective that I thought was really cool. So I got super into that. And then uh, we actually had a really good audiovisual program. And I did that as just kind of like a throwaway easy A. But they had a final cut and they had mini DV cameras with, um, you know, the Firewire. Yep. And once I could do that, I was like, whoa, this combines two huge interests of mine. This is awesome. Uh, so I had a great time just seeing just, I don't know, just something about seeing the video go into a computer right there blew my mind. Obviously, this was before smartphones. And right. um so I went to film school shortly after, and uh, like right after high school, I went to like this one-year program uh, called the New York Film Academy, and that was all. There was no post really in that. I mean, we did a little bit of editing, but it's all writing, photography, directing, all that. Uh, so I came to LA, and when I was like nineteen twenty, and wow. with no real plan, I was just like, okay, I want to be in the film industry. Let's do it. Um, so what was I doing? I worked at Otto Nemmons for a while, prepping uh, film cameras. And, Where was uh, that? Otto Nemmons. I think okay. they're still around, but they were doing film back then, and I, I do believe they migrated to digital. And uh, I was like, cool, I'll be in the camera crew. I'll be on set. Sounds awesome. And um, I, had a, I had a roommate that was a compositor. And I, you know, once I kind of like, I PA'd a little bit on set, and I kind of, I was like, man, this is kind of a grind. Like, this is a, you know, this isn't like the film school shoots where it's like this collaborative, like fun thing. It's 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 pretty tough. And uh, so I started asking my roommate more about what he did, and uh, it sounded pretty cool. And then I remember I was I just kind of wanted to try my own stuff out and um, do my own little comps, like a day for night or whatever, on my own. And um, you know, once. Once I kind of went back to that, I was like, oh, yeah, I shot something. It's on the computer. I can play with it now. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is what kicked off my whole interest in film. I should get back into this. And right. it was kind of funny. Um, his, what were you compositing with back then? Uh, Fusion. A very, Fusion. very old school version of Fusion before Roto was even a node. It was a tab. It was like right. the mask tab. Uh -huh. <laughs> and... Um, 
he got me in touch with his comp supervisor and he was like, okay, do your own day for night thing. And if it's cool, you know, you can intern here, get a start, whatever. So I did that, worked super hard on it for a week. I was like, cool, here it is. And he's like, man, this is so bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He was like, dude, I, I appreciate you doing this, but like, I don't even have anything to work with here. But at that point, I already quit my job at Otto's. So I was like, okay, well, I got to make something work. Um, so I literally went on LA411. I don't know if that website still exists. Yeah, I remember that site. Yeah. And I just clicked visual effects. I saw all the phone numbers come up. I just called, just went down the line. I just called everybody. I was just like, hey, I want to intern. You know, we'll learn how to be a compositor. Can I do anything in the building? And um, there's this one really small place in Van Nuys. I don't think they're around anymore called 1111. And I literally started just uh, dust busting and commotion. Um, Right. And so people, people may not know what dust busting is. So just, I know what it is, (laughs) but, but, uh, but why don't you explain to to people what dust busting is? Because this is, you know, this goes back to film. (laughs) film Yes. Yes. So they, we were actually, yeah, we partnered with a film scanner. So they, they get the film in to, have to come into I think they're Cinea they weren't DPXs they're dot sin files mm-hmm. uh, they'd scan those in and sometimes little pieces of dust would uh, get on the scanner and mm-hmm. so before we did any VFX work I cracked each one open went frame by frame looked for a little white dot did a little clone next frame little white dot cloned it so that is as much as uh, the bottom of the totem pole as you could yeah. you could possibly start on. I just had the headphones on, jamming out all day, and uh, yeah, hunting down that dust. Yeah, yeah, that's a tedious task. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but, you know, I was just excited to say I worked at a VFX company. You know, I thought it was pretty cool, and, you know, we we're there doing major releases, so I could still... I could see my dust busted work on uh, on the big screen. <laughs> that is dust free, thanks to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so what year was this approximately? I want to say 2005. Okay, something yeah. like 2005, 2006, something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So, so you went, you must. Where? Did, how, when did you graduate from dust busting? <laughs> It was a, it was a, you know, I don't think I ever stopped dust busting while I was in the building, uh, but they did start letting me roto because I was doing both in commotion. Um, okay. Yep. Uh, which also no one's probably heard of because it's right. only an eight bit software. Um, right. So yeah, I started rotoing there. Uh, then I, you know, started painting a little bit. Um, it was just kind of whatever low level tasks were around. It was a small shop and. You know, it was kind of like the compositors were busy. I was just like, hey, is there some menial task you don't want to do? Let me try and do it for you. Right. Um, so once I started, yeah, once I started to figure out how to paint and tracking patches, you know, then I was like, okay, I could probably blag my way into a job doing like screen comps or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of bit by bit, uh, you know, try to do higher and higher level work with a little bit of embellishment on my background maybe <laughs> but right. um you know i always tried to scale it i'd always you know we, before i did uh took a job doing tv comps i i knew i could figure it out i didn't go crazy i didn't say yes let me comp your crazy cg characters i just tried to go like one humble notch above what i was doing at the current company and 
you know, over time, I just became a real compositor. <laughs> right. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So that took a couple of years, I'm assuming. And then <laughs> I would say, yeah, I, I was probably floating around just trying to get experience probably up until I'm, I'm trying to remember when I think it was up until like, it was like 2009 is when I got like a staff gig as a compositor and was confidently. And were you doing, doing most of your learning at 1111 or did you sort of move around a little bit? No, 1111 was only for about a year or so. Okay. And, um, you know, I kind of bounced around uh, just doing support and like little small contracts. I was at uh, Entity for a bit. There's this company called LLP. It was kind of cool. They did like their own in-house movies to sell the Hallmark Channel. But what was cool about it okay. is they like they did production all the way to post finishing. Everything it was all in-house. So I was just like this little factory. That was kind of neat. Nice. Um, Try to think. I I just had a lot of small runs like that. I had a small run at Komen. And then I got this place called um, High Ground, which was kind of my next like mainstay where I did a lot of learning. Um, the biggest show we did there is Medium. Like we did that for several, several seasons, you know, with Patricia Arquette. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started there on After Effects. I, I got on the flame and then was taking in stuff from the D5, doing all the comp, laying it back to a D5. Still dust. Still dust busting right. into. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, and D5s were tapes back then, right? So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 422. Yeah. Yep, 422. Okay, so you really sort of got into the you know, the, 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 the hardcore production stuff, like post-production stuff, not just sitting in the background in Nuke doing your thing and then letting – you knew everything that was going on going to yeah, tape. We kinda, tape. Yeah. yeah, I've always found myself at a lot of, like, boutique places. And uh, so they're right. just – they're you know, it was just kind of – there wasn't anyone else to do it. Basically, yeah. Sure. So it was, it was kind of cool to learn how to deal with that and understand the process, and you know, even at that somewhat junior level, to understand um, what happens when things go to color or they go to online, and kind of that part of the process. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, how did you end up at Zoic? Was that just sort of a natural transition? You just got a gig at Zoic, or was some place you've always wanted to go? Oh yeah. So once Medium got canceled. Um, there wasn't a lot of work left at high ground. They're moving into like stereo production and stuff like that. I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't really interested in that. Um, so I just, I kind of blasted out my resumes and, uh, Zoic got back to me and, you know, at the time when I started at Zoic, which is probably 11 years ago now, I was thinking I would just, um, you know, go there for a few months, but, uh, you know, check out some other places too. And I haven't left. (laughs) Uh, right. They they just kept me busy. I've I've you know I always I really enjoyed the culture there. I enjoyed working there. I really enjoyed the work they gave me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a great run. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, well, let's talk about some of your time at Zoic. So, what you started off, I'm assuming, I'm compositing. <laughs> yeah. And how did it go from there? So um, yeah, I started comping on uh, the show called Once Upon a Time. And uh, oh right. Yeah. So. That was a really interesting job because uh, the, just the sheer volume was amazing. I mean, we would be doing 300 shots, you know, with all CG backgrounds an episode, sometimes 400, sometimes 600. And uh, it was really, it was, it was really cool. And, uh, you know, that's where I really learned like the in-depth CG compositing because there's so much work moving through there. Sometimes you'd get a note that would go back to lighting and it was 8 p.m., and you need to get the shot done that night. So it was like, well, 
do I want to wait for this render or see if I can make it happen in comp? And that's mm-hmm. what that's where I really learned, um, you know, how to comp CG is to really understand, you know, the whole back to beauty and dealing with all the layers, you know, in V-Ray and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how to make things happen. Um, so it was cool. I learned a ton. Um, did that. I think I was on, yeah, I was on ONC for a few years. And then, um, then I went on Arrow. Uh, okay. And that was cool. That was obviously a lot less volume, but um, that's when I started comp supervising. And um, yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, kind of being a supervisor for the first time, a lot of new challenges there. Because you know, the, so you tell learn, us a little bit about those challenges. For sure, for sure. And it's like you know, you kind of have your own tricks, and you're like, are these like legit? Should I be? teaching people to do this too or is this like a weird band-aid i don't know um <laughs> right but whatever gets it done right um, yeah yeah so yeah it's an arrow for probably a good four years or so um with bill actually bill joined me on arrow season three we did that together for i'm trying to remember why i jumped off arrow i was on arrow all the way till season six i think okay okay that's awesome that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, but what, how was the transition going to a supervisor? Did you find it challenging to sort of uh, go from you know I, I know how to do all the work to now I gotta designate other people to do that? Like, what are some of the challenges in supervising? Yeah, huge challenges. I mean, it's a it's a totally different skill set. It's 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 interesting. There's a lot of it where you know I once upon a time you know we had to keep our scripts super clean because we were doing all CG sets. So you'd obviously be looking at other parts of the set and you need people to grab your stuff. Um, that kind of helped me set up for arrow. Whereas delegating stuff to other artists, you could do a look dev frame and say, okay, take it from here and take it to the end. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot, it's, it's also kind of intimidating because, you know, some people are super experienced and sometimes more experienced than me, you know? So I almost had to get used to, you know, giving direction to those people. Um, that was a big part of it. Um, and there's just a new level of uh, responsibility, knowing you're holding the bag for everything that is comped, basically, which is every shot. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, you have to sort of hold on to, like everything that you do is basically has to go through you in some ways, either, at, least, at the very least visually to make sure it's sort of correct, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and had you done any feature work at this point, or have you done mostly broadcasts? Also, uh, uh, my career has been almost entirely broadcast. The feature stuff I did was like okay. Roto, the dust busting, um, gotcha. all that. But I haven't, I haven't done a ton of features, and I, I enjoy the pace of episodics. You know, I like. Yeah, it sounds like the that fast pace is kind of a, a, a challenge that you, <laughs> you you appreciate in terms of getting through things and trying to figure out how to get it done, right? Yeah, I always enjoy the kind of the soft skills aspect, you know, uh, in terms of how do you make something feel impactful? And it's, you know, you just, you, you, you kind of, you know, you want to hit the creative and the artistic side of things, or at least, you know, and that's, and when you're doing that pace, you need to do that first and then back in to a lot of the technical aspects. Like it's got to feel right. It's got to look good. It's got to be cool. And then from there, then you kind of go back and do the, the perfection as much as you can you know, with that, you know, delivering every week because it's going to air in two days sort of pace. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's obviously changed a lot more recently, right? Like that, the idea yeah. of ev- an episode every week and having to keep that schedule and all that. So how has that changed over the years? Like in terms of, you know, obviously streaming has changed the pace of the episodic work, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's really different. You know, I think we're still uh, figuring it out because... Yeah, you still, um, episodic, obviously, you still don't have as much time as a feature. Uh, our schedules are much, you know, more generous now, for sure. Like, we'll get sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you get several months to work on an episode where some of the stuff we're doing to Arrow uh, get two weeks from turnaround to delivery. Um, yeah. And there's also the air dates are not always ironclad either, you know? So it's it's interesting. There's a lot of challenges to it. The, um at this point, I think the uh, the feature methodology methodologies and episodic methodologies are really overlapping because with schedule changes, creative changes, you do need to do everything pretty ironclad and pretty pretty po- proper from the get go because you don't you don't know what note type of notes you're going to get, you don't know how the creative is going to pivot, if they're going to reshoot, what they're going to add, and um, you know, you really need to to build everything to be able to address notes is kind of number one. Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting to see how that was because I know Zoic. You know, I've like I said, Chaos has been you know working with Zoic for a long time. Once upon a time, we were working with Mike Mike Romy back then, and he was telling us mm-hmm. these crazy deadlines of like you got to turn around like. 200 shots in a week and a half you know like whoa <laughs> you know? yeah it's really kind of crazy so uh but like to me it's like now it's suddenly like the you've given more time but the bar is significantly higher in terms of what is expected is that true way higher way higher way yeah. higher um yeah it's and it's it's fun actually because there's always you know when you're delivering like on ONC, you know, 300 shots an episode. Of course, right. any artist would be like, oh, I wish I could go back and just, you know, perfect this one thing. And, you know, now we we can. You know, we, we have that time and, um, you know, we have the resources to be able to, to really go and get that stuff feature level. I don't think, you know, if you look at like the high-end streaming stuff and feature films, I really, you know, maybe I have a bias here, but I don't think there's any discernible quality difference like there used to be. I think it's definitely, I think there's definitely going to be, uh, the quality is, I think, at the very least on par. I think they may throw more crazy stuff in some feature films, but they're not mm-hmm. necessarily going to, you know, there's some masks that slide sometimes <laughs> that <laughs> sure, you sure. see or black levels aren't exactly exactly right uh, in the old days, but I don't think so anymore. I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing, obviously, now, uh, you guys are all working, and I'm assuming at 4K for everything, right? And HDR output, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you can't hide anything, and <laughs> you know, and there's no softening, there's no diffusion that's going to hide anything in 4K H- HDR. Um, right. So that's yeah, that's been really interesting too. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious about like you know how how you've seen you've obviously seen. I mean, we'll go back a little bit, but you've seen this transition. You know, you were working in film at the very beginning, and you mm-hmm. saw how that film process was in Cineon files, and obviously, like, like I believe you, there were Blog Ten back then. Is that right? There Sounds right. Yeah. 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 So so and then now all of a sudden, it, like the deliverables are probably EXRs. I'm assuming, right? So. Uh, yeah, we. Um 
we try and keep it simple for the artists and we'll write out linear exrs and we let our io department kind of deal with it from there i'm okay. not i'm not always sure what happens especially with asus now you know things are much more complicated than you know you put right. a alexa log c let on and you invert it later and you're done right uh, but most people, I believe, as deliverables are taking EXRs now with embedded mats. With embedded. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it used to be, it used to be a, a whole fire drill when they need mats and you need to do another right. render and all that stuff. But uh, And the yeah, embedded it, mats are going for, for the color people. I'm for color, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so you guys are, yeah. All right. Uh, so, so what is, I mean, what, what are, what are your thoughts about some of the, some of those changes? You mentioned ACES, how has ACES sort of affected your, your workflows, especially coming from compositing and understanding color space? Has it added more complication or is, has it, is it been nice to see a standardization that's been going on? No, I like it. Um, you know, I really wish it's just not worth the time, but I'd love to comp the exact same shot one in, you know, srgb whatever and the other one at asus because uh the roll off and everything is super nice there's so much you know when comping you would do so you just didn't have a white blob and you can get the nice fall off and asus covers a lot of that for us with the you know the shoulder roll off which is awesome as far as the complication and compositing a little bit but our pipeline team is pretty on top of it with making it seamless for us which has been really nice, nice. um so we have everything, every project gets set up with its own LUT and its own, you know, its own baked in LUT, its own viewer LUT and all that. And 99.9% of the time, the compositor doesn't even need to, it's not even really a consideration anymore. That's cool. So, yeah, it's it's interesting because before, color space was always a compositor's problem. You'd get something from a, a GoPro, you get something from Alexa, whatever. And it's like, right. that's, you know. The, co- the compositor is probably the best equipped person to figure it out. Now there's so right. much going on under the hood. We can't, you know, with Asus, you can't, like I said, you use that like a log C thing. You just invert it. It's uh, If it's not working well, then you just need to ask someone smarter who specializes <laughs> yeah. in that, basically. Um, yeah, so, it's kind of it's kind of like like your your like your you know modern engines today has got a whole computer attached. Just don't just take it to the mechanic. Don't try to change your own spark plugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like it's less problems, but more difficult problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, tell us about some of the more recent projects that you guys that you've worked on. Obviously, you know, you started off as a as a as a compositor or a, you know senior compositor, then compositing supervisor. What was your first job, sort of moving into the supervising role? Uh, that was Legends of Tomorrow, and uh, okay, that was I want to say 2017, 2018, and you know the okay. show we just had our series finale in uh, this February, and that was nice. awesome. That was the best most gratifying cool experience i could ever ask for as a vfx supervisor it was so cool it was um when i was on the show mark guggenheim was the the showrunner of arrow and he was um he was on legends as well uh when i first started later on it was um can't remember the last names anymore but keto and phil um okay so i got to to work with a lot of the same crew uh, also, the VFX producer client side used to be my coordinator on Arrow, so that was interesting. 
Um, yeah. So that was fun. So it was a lot of familiar faces. Um, and it was so cool to get to be involved in the prep. That's like, was awesome. They were, um, you know, they really embraced us and really, um, you know, let us pitch in and all the, you know, the concept meetings, the VFX meetings, and there's super open to any suggestions on shooting methodology uh, and everything from start to finish. Um, so, you know, we just, it was just to see it come in from the script and then take it all the way to the end was, was super cool. Yeah, it was. It must be so. Is that one of the first shows that you really got to be hands on and sort of be part of the the beginning and and yeah, really that's part of that. That was the first one where it's like you know, um, that was the first one where I I was a VFX soup and it was just I was the one holding the bag basically. You know, on Arrow, Chris right. that was Chris Jones was always really involved in Arrow, um, mm-hmm. so you know I learned a lot from him um, as far as just how to creatively guide the looks you know, how to hold the bar high, you know, and, and all that stuff. And then Legends pretty quickly just just became my thing. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what were some of the big challenges that you had on that show? That show the is a, it's a pretty zany show, and they throw a lot of crazy ideas out there. The writers throw out whatever, you know, so the season four there's just a lot of creature of the week sort of thing so it's not like okay we're going to establish all the effects and then we kind of have them for the season that we're going to write out it's like the first episode we did is uh season four is when we picked it up and we had this demonic unicorn uh those guys that's a beautiful unicorn need to transform constantine sent it to hell you know you figure out all that stuff and then later on you know, it was like, okay, we're going to have this uh, giant octopus and we're going to shrink it down and this woman is going to battle your CG octopus. Um, which was super interesting to figure out because, you know, we worked a lot with stunts because she had her own choreography, you know, they wanted um, they wanted her to do, but she had to do it with the, you know, an imaginary CG character. Yeah. So how so, did you do that? <laughs> how did you plan we, that with them? Yeah, it was it was interesting too because you know obviously octopus has a completely different skeletal structure than a person. So we sure. what we ended up doing was we we just boarded the whole thing out. We worked with stunts and they had a performer rehearse the choreography with the stunt performer and just as a I don't even think they shot that and then he stepped out and then she did the the exact same choreography so we tried to do it so it was still fresh in her mind rather than do the entire okay. scene they did it shot by shot so gotcha. they they had to stand in for that exact shot they did their thing he ran out and then they they shot the action um, and were and you able really to worked. be involved were you able to be involved in 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 the, the sort of the, the process of figuring out because you have to know where the octopus is going right do you, or, or you're just like here you go good luck <laughs> it was a little column a, a little column b so uh you know i'm right. based in los angeles and they always shot in vancouver so okay. i was always um i was always in the meetings for prep and i was working with the supervisor on set and you know we collaborated as to how to figure this stuff out but by the time they start rolling it's it's out of my hands um, right so i'll say okay this is what's going to set us up for success if you do X, Y, and Z. I hope that works out on the day. And mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it usually did. And the octopus stuff worked out great. It totally worked. You know, you, you just got to, if you think it through enough, it's, you can always solve a problem. You know, it's not that you can't avoid right. problems, but you can, sure. you can't scale your problems down to manageable problems. And right. And uh, that's that's how it worked out. And again, you know, with the the Legends crew being so collaborative, they would share the edits with us um, as soon as I could, and uh, let us let us give a little input as to what would work, if we might need more time, if one shot was problematic, you know, could we please consider a different take or you know a different a different plan, right? Uh, so that that made it that made it possible. That made that show possible. <laughs> Were you able to um, uh, to go on set uh, a little bit more when you were doing I, those things? I did a little bit, but again, with them shooting in Vancouver, um, it, I wasn't the mainstay by any means. But I did okay. travel to Vancouver. You know, I try and go there every six to eight weeks just to keep a FaceTime with the the crew, both the the Legends right. crew and my Vancouver crew at Zoic. Okay. Uh, so it'd be a few times like I'd do a concept meeting in person and they're like, oh, hey, do you want to go see what we're doing on set? And, you know, but I was I was never the guy that was, you know, there day in, day out doing all the hard, hard right. work. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering what it would have been like to, you know, go back on set because you started off, you know, sort of being a PA on set and that was really challenging. I'm wondering what it was like to be back on set. Oh, yeah, I did. I have done some on set. Uh, stuff where I would I would cover for someone or as kind of a day player on um, you know a show that contacted Zoic they're not a VFX show but they have this one episode they need some help on and uh, man I got a lot of respect for the people that are on set every day all day I um, it's cool it's it's fun and exciting to be there with the directors and see everything happen but um, mm. it's it's tough and it's it's grueling you know it's it's super super hard work and um you know i think the biggest the biggest challenge for me is you know you're in the office you're planning out how you're gonna approach a sequence you have all your people with you you know you have your cg soup your comp soup with you you know the asset team and you're like okay this is how we're gonna do it you talk about it for an hour you try it you change the plan a little bit when you're on set it's like okay this is what we're shooting right now is that gonna work and you have maybe like thir- a 30 second window <laughs> to to give right. any input and then they shoot it and they move on you know you can't look at the take ask for a do over an hour later it's like you need to make the right call on the spot yeah um, it's the most stressful thing honestly i when i was on set it's the thing is like i have 5 minutes to make a decision that's going to affect months of work <laughs> yeah exactly and it's uh yeah. It's like so much of that pressure too. It's like oh, I don't want to make life harder for you know myself and my coworkers later down the line. Right. You know you're you're in the trenches with everyone for years, and you hear the tracker, the tracking department, like oh my gosh, why they let them cross over this? And it's like oh my gosh, right. am I gonna be am I gonna be that guy? <laughs> right. I, yeah, and you're always worried like oh, I don't want to say something, but you're like, but if you make good friends with the AD, and you're like, please can that guy not cross over? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or whatever exactly. It is, so. Yeah, that is yeah. that is one of the biggest challenges is to know when you're like, oh, I really have to put my foot down because this is going to be a major deal for us. Or if yeah. it's like, okay, I'm going to have to choose my battles and you know eat the extra roto or whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other fun, uh, interesting thing you said, you mentioned, you know, one of the peoples you were working with what used to be your coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I, this, this is true for me. Like, I have several of the people that were coordinators under me have actually turned into executives <laughs> at studios. Yeah, right. So I, I just say, always be nice to your coordinators. You don't know when they're going to be giving you your next job. <laughs> yes, that is a fact. That is a fact. And she's not, she's not alone. You know, there's a lot of, lot of no. coordinators. I worked with at Zoic now that I'm, that are our client side producers. Mm -hmm. Including, for example, Victoria Alonso over at Marvel. She used to be a coordinator over at Digital Domain. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. And you know what? Just be nice to coordinators I think anyway. She was a producer. I'm not sure if she was a coordinator, but she was definitely a, a junior producer there uh, back in the day. But yeah. So that's very, very interesting. Uh, but yeah, okay. So, but you, so you've done a lot of stuff for DC, right? Yeah, I was in the DC world for years. I mean, for like eight years or so almost. Um, it was really cool. Yeah. Have you, have you, were you a comic book person? No. And I get, I've been asked that several times before because I worked on <laughs> DC stuff so much, but I, yeah. no, I never delve into comics a ton, to be honest. I'd okay. love to fake it and say I was, but I, I will not be able to answer any follow ups if I, if I lied to you and told you as a comic person. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not a comic. Very quickly. I'm not necessarily <laughs> beginning the comic. I like, I mean, I certainly entertained by all the stuff that's coming out, but it wasn't like this mm -hmm. something that I, that'll latch onto. I was just curious about that. I, you're definitely a, a, a classic video game guy, considering your, your obsession with Dune from the old days, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Uh, all right. Well, um, so, so tell me a little bit more about like, what are your thoughts about where production's going these days? Like, what's changing now? Like, what are some of the big trends that you're seeing? Um, gosh, everything. Uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, uh, streaming now, the schedules have really, uh, you know, just changed the entire dynamic of how episodic work is done. You know, and even like I was thinking, I was telling someone a story about this pilot I worked on. And I was like, oh, yeah, the crazy pilot season of March and April where you just know you're not going to see your family for those two months. It's kind of gone. Like right. Obviously, there's still pilots, but it's not a mad dash anymore. And you never know when they're going to land. Um, also, you do see, um, you know, just like you said, a much higher bar for everything. Much higher bar. Right. And um, everything is kind of treated like a feature in not just in the quality of the work, but the way it's shot. You know, it's um, everything's 4K, a lot of anamorphic stuff coming through on episodics. And it's it's very common. Now, I remember before you would, you know, you do a layout, you just track it, make stuff up. It's we get LIDARs for everything now. You know, that stuff. That's yeah, it's awesome. Um, so I, I feel like visual effects is um, seems like it's taken a lot more seriously from the production end in that, you know, we okay. get the LIDAR, the data collections consistently there. It's not, I, it hasn't happened. I can't remember the last time it happened or, you know, you work on something that wasn't planned to be a visual effects shot. So you'd be like, oh, there's no HDR, there's no lens info. It doesn't really right. happen anymore. You know, there's so much data collection. Um, everything's so meticulously planned. Um, it's great. There's a lot of those a lot of those headaches that don't exist anymore from the, the yeah. old school rest I do I do remember having to beg to get an HDR like can I just have three minutes to do an HDR <laughs> yeah right 
<laughs> so yeah, so yeah, I can imagine. All right, so 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 that's interesting. So the budgets are definitely clear; they're much more considerate. What about other trends? What are you seeing in terms of you know demand for for real time, uh, in camera VFX, things like that? What are what are some of the things that you're noticing in those areas? Yeah, the, the in camera stuff. We definitely are doing some of that at Zoic. I I'm not the guy to talk to for that. I, uh, but sure. we have used real time, like uh, you know. After Legends, my next thing was For All Mankind. Um, okay. That wasn't, um, like, I, I came in at the end to help out because it was a ton of work, but we did uh, a ton of Unreal for those environments, like a ton. And mm-hmm. that was that was really interesting, comping with uh, with Unreal stuff. It's, you know, obviously it was the initial excitement when you see the, the Unreal demos and they look great and it's real time. Uh, and there's also the challenges where it's, uh, you know, you don't get the same buffers and, and layers you do. Nope. <laughs> so there's a lot of, it's it's kind of ironic that you end up using a lot of old school comp tricks that you used to use before you had layers on this very new school right. technology. Yeah, well, but that's because it is old school in a sense, because it is a scanline renderer, right? So if it's, yeah, yeah. It, or, or, or a rasterized renderer. So it is an old school renderer in a lot, it's real time, but it is an old school renderer and it does that. So when once, one of the things I've been sort of uh, sort of pushing is to, to see what we can do with real-time ray tracing. And so I've been sort of uh, right. working with real-time ray tracing and trying to see about integrating that into Unreal so that we could enable your similar workflows that you guys are, are working oh, cool. with for real-time, but also have that ability to keep your buffers and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, do you, what, what are your thoughts on generally the idea of planning that like now all of a sudden you have to do a lot more planning in pre-production than you do in production because mm-hmm. it's going to be done in camera right yeah for sure for sure uh how do you how do you mean exactly you say you in mean? terms of plan in terms of planning for well you got to plan for because you're you're, you're you got to plan for your entire environment now if you're going to do in camera vfx right you got to do it all in pre-production because it's got to be ready for actual production right um yeah that's it's it's interesting because normally like when you're doing the early early pre-production concept stuff mm-hmm. it, sometimes you know it used to be so much about like let's make something cool and then we'll figure out the logistics later where now it's almost the opposite where it's like our logistics have to be airtight like this this set needs to make sense and it needs to relate to the stage they're going to be on and right. they can't walk through a mountain you know it, you right. need to be really meticulous about planning that stuff and think of every every edge case that uh, yeah. that can come up. And do you guys do compositing after you've shot in-camera VFX? Like, or what are some of the challenges that you'd have to do in terms of compositing that stuff? So when we, in my experience, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how they, they deal with the in-camera ton. When I've used it, we've, we've rendered it out of Unreal the same way we would have with, um, okay. you know, a Maya render or something like that. Gotcha. I know they used it. They used it for previs. Okay. Um, and I know that that we do in camera stuff. I just haven't worked on it myself. Okay. 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 All right. Well, what about some of the other uh, trends? Are you seeing anything else besides schedules and stuff like that? Are you seeing other interesting uh, dynamics? I mean, obviously, the streaming has just taken off. The amount of content out there is just huge. Uh, does that affect your schedule at the same time? Because you've guys got a ton of work, or you you're able to sort of hone it down a little bit more. Uh, yes to all the above. I think um, one thing that's interesting, it's it's harder to, 
scheduling's it's just an additional challenge, I guess. When you don't have the okay, here's a post schedule. This is going to mm-hmm. online that day, no matter what. You know, with s- streaming, they'll have an online session. They might have another one. <laughs> you know, uh, so staff staffing's been you know there's an additional additional challenge to staffing. However, that what really helps is work from home, which you know we haven't touched on yet. But that all that's you know obviously also makes a huge difference where you we can draw from talent from anywhere we're not limited by the amount of desks we have i remember interesting it's in some pilot seasons uh back in the day we literally wanted to hire more people we just didn't have the desks we just physically couldn't put them anywhere anywhere right uh you know now you know there's network considerations with scaling but there's there's no physical cap to it interesting Interesting. Now, Zoic is obviously, you know, taking advantage of a lot of tax credits, and they obviously have to have people in Vancouver, but uh, or or other tax credit places. But do you guys hire from nearly anywhere on the planet now? <laughs> What's how much has it opened up for you guys? There's there's definitely, and that's one thing that streaming brought back a lot of LA work, a lot of LA work. Uh, there's still tax splits and tax credits that they all take advantage of, but it right. wasn't, um, it hasn't been as strict or as, um, you know, it's it's not 90-10, like a lot of the network stuff we'd get, sometimes 50-50. So there's definitely a layer of management to that and crewing that there are some shows uh, that pretty much every show has some tax credit situation. And you know the mm-hmm. crew needs to be balanced for that. So, what we call LA now is basically anywhere that isn't Vancouver or New York is LA. Gotcha. <laughs> basically, so if you want to hire someone from Alabama, they'll yeah. be considered LA. <laughs> yes, exactly. L- okay. LA. I know California offers some tax credits, but it doesn't seem to be significant enough to be a a, a big right. consideration for any studios out there. So we'll hire anyone, you know, from anywhere. Uh, gotcha. But we we definitely still need our our New York and our our Vancouver contingent, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's that's fine. It's a balance, but I, that's actually kind of interesting. I mean, how how involved are you in recruiting and, and and getting some talent? Because now you have a much wider net of people you can go from, right? Yeah, I it's been a while. You know, when I was in, I think it was just easier also in the office. Uh, I was doing interviews and. Um, you know, meeting a lot of new people coming in. I haven't, right. since we've been work from home, I haven't really been involved. Um, mm. But it is um, it is super cool to know, like, you know, I there was some people that just moved out of LA before, you know, work from home and all that. And it was pretty mm-hmm. cool to be able to be able to work with them again or meet them and um, have that flexibility. And, um, and also myself, you know, this summer I went to visit my family in Michigan and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I didn't have to take any vacation time. I just worked while I was there. You know, I just I took my whole setup and uh, worked out of my brother's basement, and it was That's seamless. Awesome. It was super cool. So, how about how about supervising while doing things remotely? How is that? How what are the challenges you've been dealing with there? Yeah, you know, I think I'm in a unique situation where it actually made it way easier because when I worked on Arrow and Legends like 80% of my crew was in Vancouver. So it was literally screen grabs, sending emails, pointing, not, you know, artists don't all have a phone at their desk. It was only like the producer did or the supervisor. And 
it was a whole rigmarole to call an artist over, talk on the phone. We did, you know, right. we had some screen share software, but it wasn't great. So it was just like describing stuff. Uh, it's very much like a right. client giving you notes. Then when right. work from home happened, that uh, the screen shares, you know, the Microsoft Teams and the video calls just became commonplace. And um, and actually, you know, for me, you know, it just it broke down a ton of barriers because, um, you know, I would never just like now I've got to call an artist cell phone when they're in Vancouver. But now it's like we're all on Teams. It's like, hey, join me in the Dailies channel. And, you know, you screen share. Right. And I actually it's cool. I get to know every like know everyone on my team better because um, it's the communication just opened up. That's amazing. That, that's it. I've, I hadn't thought of that because I know a lot of people were having a hard time. Like, you know, they weren't used to that level of communication, but to you, it was like, well, at least I get to see them a little bit more. I get to interact with them a little bit more. Yeah. And I got, so, you know, over the years of working with a crew in Vancouver, I, you know, have my, I developed the whole skill set of like how to make notes super clear if they're not, you know, if they're just reading them in an email. So, right. I mean, that only got better once once uh, I was actually able to screen share and see their face and make a hand gesture. Oh my God, being able to do a hand gesture like this, just like <laughs> whole new paradigm opened up. It was great. Right, right, right. So Zoic, Zoic I, from what I heard, Zoic has actually gone pretty much anyone can work from home or the, it's very optional to come into the work, right? It's Yeah, they've they've announced it's we're working from home indefinitely. You know, it's, okay. we've been churning out great work working from home. And, uh, you know, everyone likes it. And, uh, yeah, if you uh, go to the office, uh, it's it's available uh, for sure. But I've been I've been home almost this entire time. Right. You know, right. with a few exceptions. Right. So it's great. Uh, it's there's it's it's so great. Honestly, there's, you know, as a supervisor, there's sometimes where it's like, OK, animation has to get approved tonight. And you, you know how it is. You give a note at 5 p.m. And they're like, okay, no problem. I'll do the OT. I get it. I'll have a new version at eight o'clock. And if you're in the office, you're just hanging out, you know, like I'm done with everything else, but I'm sticking around till eight o'clock. And they're like, okay, like got me published. And, you know, you might have a few more notes yeah. and you're there till 10 just to do this 15 minutes of work reviewing them that work. Yep. Now it's like, okay, I got teams on my phone. I'm like, hey, tag me when you got it ready. Uh, and, right. you know, I can go eat dinner with the family, come back in. Uh, yeah, that's great. And also for the artists too, you know, as a compositor, you have been in that situation where it's like, all right, need this render to come off the farm. And, uh, you know, once it happens, it's just a version up in comp, but plenty of times, you know, you have to wait till nine o'clock for that render to finish your version up render yeah. and you're done. And now it's like, okay, well, at least I can just go inside, hang out, do my thing, pop back in, see if it's done. It's great. Yeah. It's just like the yeah, quality how, of life. How long? It's huge. How long have I sort of sat around a studio waiting for renders to come off the farm, just sitting there doing nothing for yeah. hours? <laughs> it's really painful. Uh, okay, well, that's interesting. I'm very curious about you know how that that is. It, well, it sounds to me like it's been a good experience for you guys, and to be able to do that and to have that 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 flexibility. Are you guys growing? Uh, generally speaking, are you guys looking to hire more people or? Always, where you know, where it's been an artist market for for a while now, and. Um, yeah, I think we're always on the look for for new talent. And um, like, you know, we've hired people. We have people all over the country um, working. Um, we're pro I think since, 
You know, there was a slowdown when the pandemic first first happened, but then there was a whole boom that followed once production opened up again. And since then, I'm pretty sure that we've had more people working at Zoic than we've ever had when we were full brick and mortar. Interesting. Interesting. Once once work from home opened up, I think we've always had more employees than we did before. That's great. That's great. Okay, well, what are some of the upcoming projects or projects that you guys are working on that people can can check out and look into that you can talk about? I just say, I don't know. It's To be honest, it's never uh, clear to me what I can and can't talk about. I just stick to everything that's been delivered. Um, okay. <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the safe route, but... Um, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, For All Mankind, I would say, is the most recent thing that uh, that we dropped in. There's some, some really good stuff in there. Okay. Uh, I've, I've always, I'm so tunnel visioned on only the stuff I worked on. I think that's that's the one downside, I would say, is work from home, is that you know I have my projects, and I'm not really sure what my friends are doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I just have I have my thing. I'm not sharing. I'm not walking in on their dailies by accident. You know, I'm not walking by their desks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still try to get together like maybe once a month, drop by the office, you know, get some snacks and go home? <laughs> you know, everyone talks about doing it. We uh, we do have like company wide parties, which are cool. You know, okay. we had a we had a summer party. Uh, I think we have a holiday party coming up. Uh, right. But you drop by the office, and then it's like. Is anyone going to be there today? Who knows? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, for sure. But uh, I do know. I think uh, Vancouver they have more of a they have more people in office than we do in LA. In my observation. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Well, listen. It's been it's been a great uh, great chatting with you, Andrew. I really appreciate uh, being able to to hear more about what's going on. Um, and obviously, you know, people can go check out things that are going on at Zoic. It's nice to know that they're. There are jobs available, so if people are interested, they should definitely get in touch with with some people at Zoic about that. Uh, really look forward to seeing some of your work, uh, and yeah, congratulations, man! How, you said eleven years at Zoic, right? I think so. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, eleven yeah. years now, going strong. <laughs> All right, well, cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. <laughs>